Welcome to Life Science Marketing Radio, the podcast where marketing leaders inside and outside the sciences share their creative ideas and practical approaches to increasing your marketing ROI. Here's your host, Chris Connor. Hey there. Welcome to the Pumpkin Spice edition of Life Science Marketing Radio. Before we start, I want to give you a little invitation, and that is to sign up for my newsletter. Some of you are already on the list, and others may have looked and said, no thanks. But I want to let you know that I'm moving beyond telling you about the latest episode. I want to provide more value for the community, so now I'm curating other content that I think you'll find useful in terms of both marketing and your career, but also maybe some things that I find interesting and worth sharing regardless. Your feedback, of course, will guide the direction, so let me know what you find worthwhile, and that will result in more of that stuff showing up. You can subscribe on my homepage under the heading the best of LSMR, there's a button that says sign up now in bright orange. Now, let's dive in, shall we? Sandra Haddon is the manager of audience development for CNEN at the American Chemical Society. I'm really excited to have her here. Sandra, welcome to LSMR. Thank you for having me. I'm excited too. All right. So audience development, that's what we're going to talk about today. Um, specifically around promoting your content mm-hmm. to do that. So first of all, you have a couple roles at CNEN, right? I do, yeah. So my job is um, kind of bucketed into two different categories. And the first is really around, as you mentioned, you know, the CNEN uh, readership, the audience, and getting people to read our stories, um, getting people to follow us on social, getting them to sign up to our uh, newsletter. So really trying to reach, you know, chemists where they are and therefore promote, um, you know, the magazine itself. The other other half of my job, the other bucket, if you will, is actually building resource really for um, science marketing itself, because that's that's really what I do in trying to reach people through CNN, and that is for you know the community at large, um, our advertisers. So that's the other half. It's a blog, it's a newsletter, it's it's all the typical stuff that that you would find. Right. Mm-hmm. So. Sort of the same thing I'm trying to do yeah. in some ways. <laughs> like trying to get people podcast. on my email yeah. list and then also teach people about how they can do their marketing yeah, better, right? Totally. And mm-hmm. you create or CNEN creates content mm-hmm. for its weekly yes. publication, yes. which is a lot. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> that blows my mind. Yeah. And also for brands through Brand Lab. Yes. Talk about a little bit about the division between editorial and the media group. Sure. So, um, yeah, so we are a weekly print. Um, We are uh, a member benefits. We reach um, members of the American Chemical Society. And of course, we have a a digital component. Everything is is digital first these days. So we have a lot of other things there, podcasts, um, like flash briefing skill, all the fun stuff. You know, we have had advertisers for a very long time. And as, you know, marketing has really shifted towards content in general, you know, it's not just about display ads. It's about, 
you know, giving something of interest, you know, to someone who may buy your product, the very thing that we are doing, uh, talking about right now, you know, we we saw a need to develop a, a place where our advertisers could go to have those stories created. But, you know, um, editorial, it, it's very important to keep that separate because we, we don't have advertisers kind of influencing what we write about, right? That's where really the Senior Brand Lab Studio came about. We have our own science writers. We have our own team dedicated to marketing, promoting. You know, there's some crossover there with, you know, production and, and even myself. Yeah, and it, it's been really great. We create really good, authentic, interesting stories that people are going to read and they go into the print magazine. They go online. They still have the same distribution. So you get the same science writing, um, not to be too pitchy, <laughs> but yeah, that's that's what we did and it's it's going really well so far. And then you help them promote that content, obviously, and that's part of your job. Yeah. So, you know, that's really where the crossover with my role is because I do the same thing for the editorial side where, you know, our our mantra is is really, it's no longer a, if you build it, they will come, you know, just because you write something and put it out there and, you know, you have a website and you have all this stuff to have the mechanism for people to, to read it. You still have to do all those pushes to get people to actually find it, especially these days. So we do for both CNN and editorial and brand lab, we do a lot of ad role retargeting ads. So, you know, finding people on the internet when they're somewhere else <laughs> um, and uh, social media ads. We do a lot of social campaigns um, for everyone. You know, we'll do contests for advertisers that go that goes really well. There's a whole promotion strategy around, you know, getting people to these stories. Yeah. So let's talk yeah. about some of those in detail, yeah. I guess. And we're going to cover social and email and retargeting and anything else that you think of. Mm-hmm. Let's first of all talk about when you CNEN is creating content and I'm presume here we're talking sort of about the brand lab or any other content aside from the editorial. Is there a defined process about how you do that? For the, I'm sorry, for the advertisers or for um, the, the magazine itself? For the advertisers. Yeah. So yeah, aside yeah. from the editorial content, yep. what's the process for creating stories or whatever else for? Yeah. So folks? we set up, um, I mean, it's really just like deep conversations, you know, with a client about what it is that they're trying to do and what there is they're trying to accomplish. And sometimes, you know, even when we have these calls, you don't actually, they don't really know to start because, you know, maybe they have an idea or they're just trying to do something new and different. So a lot of our job is kind of, you know, making sure we're asking the right questions and trying to get at, you know, what success means to them. What whether it's, you know, they really need leads, um, you know, we have a solution for that. If it's brand awareness, you know, we have a solution for that. So it's it's really the process. It's um, we try to evolve the client. Sometimes it has to do with who they have access to. You know, they may not always, you know, have the scientists in the lab that they can, that we, that's who we want to talk to, right? Obviously, because that's what our, our, our audience is going to be interested in. So it's really navigating those things. And we have an account manager. So once it gets into the, the nitty gritty of, you know, putting the content together, working with our in-house, you know, design team. We we track that with the client and kind of walk them through all of that. And then promotion-wise, you know, it's really just status updates. You know, these days it's it's definitely not a set it and forget it kind of thing, especially if there's a social campaign. One of the, the campaigns that we did was around a, like a pun contest for our audience to create puns that were going to be put on a t-shirt. The mechanism was to comment on Facebook. So someone's got to be, you know, making sure that that's uh, all going according 
according to plan. Um, <laughs> so yeah, so um, there's always, there's definitely different touch points and putting the content together itself kind of always depends on what story our writers find. Sometimes that's that too, you know, we come to them with ideas and be like, hey, this is really interesting, this little piece here that, you know, maybe they didn't even think of because they're just so entrenched in it all the time, you know? So sometimes it's just kind of, you know, having a um, that perspective of someone else just walking you through everything and you, you can find the good story. You mentioned, you know, having access to the scientists. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's, is, is that essential for you all? I mean, because I, I know the difficulty of that. Like yeah. sometimes it's hard to find the person that will mm-hmm. or wants to or is even allowed to, in some cases, talk about it. Yep. Yeah, I mean, answer, non-answer, it totally depends sometimes on on the client and who, what they're they're working on. But yeah, I mean, for the most part, it works out, you know, fairly well, um, because usually it's, you're trying to tell their story. The the grayer areas, we've actually done promoted case studies, and that is going to be kind of tricky when you're trying to reach their clients and and of of those folks. Um, So it's, it's a bit of a mixed bag, for sure. And, you know, I am, I'm very familiar, obviously, with Brand Lab um, because, you know, I, my job is to market it and promote it as, you know, a service, right, um, from the advertiser side. But we have a whole other team who, who, do, who do this on, you know, a daily basis and who, um, who kind of lead the charge on that. And then social and yes. email specifically as, I'm guessing, two of the primary mm-hmm. channels yeah. for promoting yes. content because that's where... They're either looking at their Twitter feed or they're yep. going through emails, yeah. I think. Yeah. yeah, well, you know, for the senior editorial side, you know, going back to that audience development bucket that I'm in, you know, it's, it's kind of a two-pronged approach. You know, social is, you know, where people are and email um, drives people to your site and having that list of, you know, I think we have 150 some odd, you know, people subscribed that we can, you know, send something to dedicated. You know, that's a... P- 150,000. Yeah. <laughs> yes, I know. Well, so so I say that, but, you know, on my, the other bucket, it's definitely, you know, it's not that high. We have a much smaller list. So um, I have both the big list to, to, you know, be happy about. And then I have the much smaller community to work with as well. So <laughs> um, for those who have small, you know, distribution lists, don't, don't fear. <laughs> but yeah, so social is great and amazing. There's definitely a lot going on with social right now. You know, Facebook's in trouble all the time and all that. So, you know, I think the, the, the big point there is also just not to put all of your eggs into one basket. So we really try to, you know, while we're doing social and email, you know, we also are paying attention to search engine marketing and all that stuff. And really where email is, is so powerful is that you're really just moving people from a platform that you don't own, you know, like Facebook, that all this stuff is going on totally outside of your control. Doing ad campaigns sometimes is a total black box um, or you get a notification that something isn't approved. You have no one to talk to. It's, it's just, it can be such a mess. Um, um, so if the to the extent that you work people from Facebook into signing up for your newsletter, you're you're moving those people over to a platform that you control a lot, a lot less messily. <laughs> That's a word. So those things are are important in, in thinking about how not just to promote your content, but you know, kind of checking multiple boxes. Well, how can I use this content to kind of move people to where I want them to go, where I can continue to reach them, um, or have a dedicated space for that? So I have a sort of a side question sure. I might take out out of this thing (laughs) but have you had since you mentioned ads not being approved approved, so are you aware of this uh, new google rule as of october 1st about stem cell treatments and other unproven 
Um, no, I mean, we, not specifically, but we will run into that sometimes, even on Twitter, if you have mentioned something, anything related to pharma, you know, they'll usually flag it and it'll delay a campaign. And then, you know, they're a little bit better uh, as to just letting it once they actually review it and you, you know, don't necessarily get someone to talk to per se, but, you know, they're, I don't know if it's the algorithm or they actually have people dedicated to it. Facebook, yeah, I mean, they, it's a, it's definitely, um, kind of wild, wild west right now. So they, they have certain things that they've always had, you know, like we've, we've done stories, you know, Senian has written kind of fun stories about alcohol and, you know, the chemistry of cocktail bitters and things like that. And if you try and, you know, promote that, uh, on Facebook, you know, you'll, you'll get flagged that, Hey, you can't, you know, obviously send this to someone who's under 21. Right. So there's little things like that. Um, but, you know, we do work with, um, you know, life sciences companies, obviously, and, and that's a whole other kind of social strategy because there are certain things like that that you just can't do. Right. And to be clear, so what happened is somebody online contacted me mm-hmm. about the podcast, but they said, hey, have you heard about this yeah. new Google rule, which prohibits ads promoting unproven treatments? Yeah. But as many companies in the life science are working on research <laughs> yeah, exactly. on stem cell and maybe the algorithm is flagging those. Mm-hmm. And the concern was, based on previous experience, not specifically around that term, that some of their ads would be blocked mm-hmm. and trying to figure out like maybe what the community can do as a whole to educate right. the algorithm. Like, right. what's the difference between selling a treatment and selling right. tools? Right. Yeah, I you know that's and their support systems are also different. Um, so that's also the the challenge there. I mean, I would think Google may be a little bit easier, um, you know, than Facebook these days. But you know, it's all it's all kind of a uh, you know, like I mentioned, the black box sometimes. So, <clears throat> how you promote through social and email? Let's talk about that. Like, is it different the way you would promote a piece of content? Well, like, mm-hmm. Specifically, what would be an example of something you would put in a Facebook mm-hmm. post? I guess, of course, it's trying to lead to the article. Yeah. But what you put there versus what you put in an email, is it different? Yeah. It can be. I mean, sometimes it just has to do with, you know, the formatting. Um, so Facebook, obviously, is, is really great for images. Um, and, you know, no surprise, our Facebook audience, they love when we post the, the molecule or structure <laughs> along with the story, which isn't, you know, eye-opening per se, but there's always quirky things. Like sometimes, you know, something you think would totally work and it is perfect for your audience, you know, just it just doesn't. But that consistently will always get great engagement whenever we do that and it's it's good to see that that is making sense um when it comes to email um you know a lot of it has to do with just making sure um that it's you know readable it can be delivered so that to people's inboxes so sometimes that will gear or steer um what we what we put in it images that are 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 too many of them you know that can get you flagged for for junk uh, mail depending on the size and things like that we've also been experimenting with a b testing emails so our subject lines um, we've found interestingly enough it seems that when we have a subject line that is a question it actually hasn't been performing as well and we're wrapping up a study just or an a b test for the last you know month or so to really prove that that is you know we have the 
data behind it fully. But we thought that was really interesting. It's like, okay, well, questions usually, like instinctually, that seems like something that's engaging. It's getting you to think. It's getting you to then open and see, well, what is the answer to this question? So on email, it's been interesting for us to see that that may not actually always be the case. You know, my gut is maybe it's because we are CNN and we're a news publication and you get an alert. You want the answer to things, not being asked something. <laughs> you know, we'll, we'll see if that holds up. And NPR actually just did a, a study. They have a, an email newsletter called NPR Trainings, I believe, which is really kind of a marketing best practices, really. But they also did a similar study about email subject lines as in the form of a question and how it may actually not be as in, as enticing as people think. Wow, yeah. that's helpful right there. Yeah. And I have somebody lined up to mm-hmm. talk about A-B testing. Oh, we haven't gotten together to schedule this thing yeah. yet. His schedule's kind of crazy all the time. That is an yeah. episode we've never talked about. Yeah. And I definitely want to do that. Yeah, we um, I'll definitely I'll have to check that out. I mean, we do it in different ways. So we have some tools, you know, from like a newsroom perspective to help us on the site in A/B testing. You know, I'll do it every once in a while on a Facebook campaign. But A/B testing is something in this email. But there's always something to learn about it. So I'll have to take a listen. You mentioned also retargeting. Yes. And bringing in people from other places. So we've yeah. done a couple of episodes a long time ago, like yeah. probably in the first year of this podcast mm-hmm. about retargeting. And then, and you know, of course there's the thing, is this annoying? But apparently it works. <laughs> it's always it's that so way, right? It's not so annoying that people don't <laughs> respond, right? And I guess I'm curious in, to what extent or how yeah. you're doing your retargeting to make sure it's not annoying yep. and relevant. Yep. Yeah, so on our advertiser side, so when I market our products um, and do the science marketing community that I mentioned before, so our our retargeting had been pretty simple for a while. It was literally just, I have this thing that I want to promote. I'm going to create a campaign. I'm going to send people, you know, to this thing. It's usually always centered around content. Sometimes I'll, I'll do a campaign trying to get people to subscribe to our, our science marketing, you know, newsletter. But for the most part, it was a white paper that we had or something that, you know, if it was annoying, at least it provided some, you know, value uh, if you downloaded it right versus just like you know selling a trying to sell a white paper ourselves so that was basically it we would just kind of throw it up we'd run it for a week or so um, I think frequency how long you run the campaign that's always something that helps you know you don't want to you know throw so much money behind it and run it for three months and it's always in people's digital browsing uh, life what I'm starting to do now is really combine it more with some of the other approaches like that we've been talking about so an example would be that when we have a newsletter that we're going to send out, I will run a subscription campaign to try and get people to sign up before it goes out. So I'll usually do that on LinkedIn, which is great and effective, but it's very expensive. And especially if you're trying to get leads, it's just, it can be a lot, you know, to throw money behind that. And to extend that life of LinkedIn, you know, if you have someone who at least maybe you don't get, you only get five leads from a LinkedIn campaign or something, if you throw like a hundred bucks behind it. But, you know, if you get 20 who are, you know, clicking back to your site, you know, those are people that you can then retarget. So then, you know, I'll send out my email newsletter, I'll drive people to our blog posts, um, they get to read, you know, how to do a creative banner ad and how to write copy around a landing page, you know, typical things that, that we'll talk about. And then that's when my ad roll retargeting campaign will start after those two initial steps. So the goal there is to kind of capitalize on the money that I spent on LinkedIn and hit those people again. And usually the messaging will be a little bit more, it'll be a little bit of a harder sell because I, you know, the logic is I've, I've you know, promoted uh, a piece of content, best practice, resource, things like that. And then, but I, I also want people to know who we are, like what, what are we doing this for? Why are we here? And that's usually where my ad roll, you know, retargeting 
targeting ads will go is just a kind of learn more about us. So hopefully that we'll have that brand recognition from just having engaged with the other pieces that we sent, and then they will extend the life of the whole campaign. That's the general theory. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So let me see if I understand. Yeah. So you do a LinkedIn ad, yep. which I agree are expensive. Yes. Yes. <laughs> Maybe the most expensive place it I've is. advertised. Yeah. yeah. And then some people will sign up yep. for your newsletter through that. Yep. But really, the the value is in driving people back to your site yep. where there's a retargeting pixel. Yep. And now the Google or mm-hmm. wherever right. the internet's know. Right. Yeah. <laughs> this person's been to your yeah, site. Big brother. And we're going to show them CNN little banners. Yeah somewhere else. And my question yeah. about that mm-hmm. is to what degree can you restrict mm-hmm. where on what ad Good networks point. that shows yeah. up? Yeah. So there is a block list. Um, and I, I th- forget what name uh, each of these different platforms have a specific name for it. Like Facebook, it's literally called like your block list. Um, AdRoll has one too. So we go through and we do this for our CNN um, stories as well. So like a brand lab content, it's, you know, a list of sites that we just don't want this ad running on at all. Um, so you can set those parameters. Um, Facebook will go even further. And because, you know, they have um, like an audience network. So whether that's a, a podcast site or um, different, you know, types of media where they'll show your ad to, you can say, well, I don't, I don't want this ad that I'm running through the Facebook ad platform to be shown on, you know, some um, podcast or, um, you know, hosted by X person or whatever the case may be, or a mobile app or something like that. So you can drill down even further on Facebook than just like the list of pages and things like that. But yeah, that's it. That I recommend that. I mean, we didn't do that. This was years ago. We didn't do that. We, we did. We got called out on it, uh, you know, and CNN's like, why is your ad running here? And yeah, it's, it's a problem. You just don't know where all these things show up. So you do have to spend some due, due diligence. And that was really helpful for us because we got right in. And like, this is what we have to do. It's just it's just a good best practice. So whoever made that comment way back then was uh, helping us in the long run, for sure. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Just uh, to be clear, what we're talking about is, and I'm sure most people get this, mm-hmm. but if you haven't done retargeting, Mm-hmm. There's a possibility that your brand shows up on a site that is not compatible yeah. with your brand, yeah, exactly, and, and makes people think you're paying these yep. characters. Yep. To, yep. For example, it's yes. <laughs> a good way to, to put it. You and, yeah, I'm trying to be fair. Right. Right. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> because maybe they're not all. Yeah. Bad characters, right, right. but just not appropriate for your right, brand. Yeah. But well, then like there's Infowars is probably a pretty safe, great example of somewhere where we would never want to, you know, put anything yeah. on. So that would be an example where I'd be like, nope, like this website, his, you know, podcast, like, I mean, all that stuff is kind of is um, gone now. Uh, from the most Flat part. Earth yeah, channel. Yeah. But that stuff, you can <laughs> literally indicate that you don't want them there. So that's, that's helpful. Right. Yeah. All right. Yeah. Well, this has been really helpful, this discussion about promoting your yeah. content to build your audience, which is really what content marketing is all yeah. about. Of course, you'd like to get people in your funnel, but the first step is getting people just to pay attention to yep. what you're doing, right? Mm-hmm. I will put a link to the C-N-E-C-N <laughs> Media Kit site on the show notes for this episode. And if it's all right with you, a link to your LinkedIn profile as well. So if people have questions for you or want to connect, I highly recommend it. These guys know a lot about marketing. I love watching what they're doing. And... Uh, Sandra Haddon, thanks so much for joining me. Great. Thanks for having me. I really appreciate it. Content promotion is key. I think Joe Polizzi of Content Marketing Institute says you should spend 80% of your effort promoting content and 20% creating it. 
in any case, you want to get the most out of every asset you create. I really like Sandra's strategy of retargeting follow-ups after those LinkedIn ads. That makes the cost of those ads a lot more palatable. Like pumpkin spice, right? Hey, I'll be here all week. Tip your waitress and tell two colleagues about this podcast, would you? Thank you very much. I'll talk to you soon.